All right. Hey, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. I uh, just want to say welcome. So glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, the reason we're called The Exchange is it's the gospel in a word. Jesus took our sin, our filth, um, our messed up lives, and he gave us his life. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his perfect life. So I uh, we just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're in the gospel of Mark. So if you would, turn to the gospel of Mark. Hey, uh, turn to the gospel of Mark. Raise your hand. If you, get a Bi- uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. But the gospel of Mark. And I just want to say, uh, I know it, it took a lot to get here today. Some of you had to take probably boats just to get here, and thank you for doing that. Um, maybe your car sawed out or flooded. Today was an interesting morning for us. Our, our uh, church truck uh, did not start for like an hour and a half, and so we had someone on our team, uh, Silver, who was just waiting there very patiently, and after an hour and a half, I guess it turned on, and it got here by like nine o'clock-ish, and we're still having church. Isn't that great? Um, so God is so faithful. Um, really wasn't sure for a second. Well, we'd still have some chairs, and that's about it. Um, so, so glad that worked out. But we're in the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're taking the year to look at this book, and so if you are new, just want to catch you up. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest gospel, and Mark's favorite word is this word immediately. Mark says this word immediately 41 times because he's basically jumping from story to story. He's saying immediately Jesus did this, immediately what he went here. And what he's showing us is that wherever Jesus went, he brought restoration and renewal and healing and life. And I love this book. It's the ADD book. It's the ADD gospel. For those of you who have short attention spans and just kind of like give me the, get, get this to the point, this is Mark's gospel. And so I appreciate this book. Uh, and just to kind of catch up on who Mark is, we, we've shared this before, but Mark is actually uh, Barnabas's cousin. You're like, who's Barnabas? Barnabas was used in the book of Acts just as that encourager. He, he built up Paul. He went on mission trips with Paul. Paul and Barnabas actually got in a fight over this guy, Mark. And they actually separated for a period of time. And there is a a big just disagreement between uh, Barnabas and Paul over this guy, Mark. But later, this relationship between Paul and Mark was restored. Um, A great verse, 2 Timothy 4.11, just right before, uh, this is Paul's last book. He said, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. So it's good to know that Paul and Mark reconciled, Paul and Barnabas reconciled, but we know that Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. Mark was discipled by Peter. Many people do. A guy named Eusebius, an early church father, wrote that the gospel of Mark is really Peter's gospel in many ways. That this is actually Peter sitting down with Mark and telling him the story of Jesus, and Mark writing down the story of Jesus through the lens of of Peter's perspective. And so when we read some of these stories, even last week, the week before, they're caught in the storm, all these different stories, I love to kind of read it through that lens of like Peter's firsthand experience, and Mark just kind of penning this. And so here we are in Mark chapter 5, where, as I always mentioned, we're just flying through this book. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 5 today, and here we are in May. Isn't that great? Um, flying through it. But here in Mark chapter 5, just to kind of catch you up, Jesus and the disciples were just on one side of the Sea of Galilee. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching in parables, Jesus is. He often spoke and taught in parables. And Jesus is teaching from a boat, facing land. He stays in the boat. They go to this other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is like a little lake, 13 by 7 miles, not that big. But they go to the other side. And last week, we looked at who met Jesus. If you guys remember, if you're here with us last week, a demon-possessed man uh, meets Jesus. He says, what have you to do with us? And we know that this man is filled with thousands of demons. And Jesus speaks a word, and the demons leave this man. And this man is renewed in his mind. He has renewed community. He has a renewed mission. Jesus just renews everything for this man. And it's a wonderful message to study the demon-possessed guy on Mother's Day, right? That's a great Mother's Day message. Such a good topic. (laughs) Uh, But we just looked at how Jesus just renewed this man in just a moment. And the people say, get out of here. Jesus, get out of here. Our pigs are dead. 
They ran over the cliff. Our business is gone. Our money's gone. We, we love our money. We love our economics. We love this more than you. Get out of here. So Jesus does that. He gets in the boat, and that's where we pick up the story. So we're going to read in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, and we're going to see just a couple of different parallels happening here. In Mark chapter 5, we see a man named Jairus who's seeking for his daughter to be healed. And then in the middle of the story, it's interrupted by a woman who's seeking for herself to be healed. And this is what some guys call the sandwich technique. It starts off with one story, and then it's interrupted by another story. Jesus addresses this, and he's, he's, he's focusing on this new story. And then it picks up back with the, other, the first story, the original story. And there really is a lot here, and I'm very thankful for this text. And I thought about doing this text in two weeks, but I'm like, I'll just prolong it more. So I'm going to try to get a lot in here. But there, there's just so much. And, and what we see within this, this man, J- uh, Jairus, and within this woman who wanted to be healed, we see within them this, this contrast of just fear and faith. They come to Jesus both with fear, and, but they also have f- mixed with faith. And it is just really interesting to me how many times, it's not like they're always, I used to view it as you either have fear or you have faith. But many times within one kind of moment, within one person, you can have a mixture of fear and faith. And we see this, they come kind of with fear, but also with, with kind of misguided or incomplete faith, but it's still faith, and they come to Jesus. And what I wanted to just point out, the theme of this is really found in verse 36. I, I just wrote it down for us, for you here. Uh, Jesus simply said in verse 36, do not be afraid, only believe. And this really summarizes what we're going to be looking at today. For us who struggle with faith, for us who have doubts, for us who have maybe misguided faith or weak faith, maybe we have just fears in our life, kind of the theme of this text is just do not be afraid, only believe. And I hope that there's like one phrase or one thing you can walk away with is just that phrase. That Jesus looks at the man who just lost his daughter and he goes, don't be afraid now, now's the time to believe. And I don't know what it is you're walking through, what it is you're going through, but I feel like Jesus would look at you and say, do not be afraid, now's the time to believe. And so just the, simply the title today, what I want to look at is Small Faith and Big God. Small Faith and Big God. So glad it's not the opposite. <laughs> I'm so glad it's not uh, small, or, you know, big faith, small God, but it's small faith, big God. And so we're going to read it and we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And just so you know, this is like a game changer in Jesus' story. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, I'll just throw it up here really quick. In Matthew's gospel, it says, uh, and the report of this went out into all the land. What we're about to read what we're about to read and study and look at, like kind of changed everything. Jesus is about to f- perform not just a healing, but a resurrection. And so this report goes into all of the land. This is like now Jesus is famous, but he's just about to get more famous. And he's also about to get more hated at the same time. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21, uh, let's read it and then we'll pray. Mark writes, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, remember he leaves this demon-possessed guy, a great multitude gathered to him, And Jesus was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 25, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be, I should be well. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of this affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, uh, you see the multitudes thronging you, Jesus? And you say, who touched me? 
And he looked around to her, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Remember, this is Peter's perspective, one of the three, one of the inside. Then he came to the house of of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly, and he came in and said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. (laughs) And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father, and the mother of the child, and those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. <laughs> I like that last part. It's like my favorite verse right there. Uh, let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, I just, um, we do want to come to you just humbly because, God, I, I have no idea what some of, of the people in this room are walking through. And Jesus, I know that you care more than we know. And I know that your timing and our timing is not always the same. And so, Jesus, I ask just from this story that it not just be stories, God, but, God, that this would grow our faith, that as we hear your word, that you would increase our faith, and that, Jesus, we would look to you with the same mindset, with the same sense of desperation, and, God, that you would just speak and be in this place, and, Lord, how we long to hear from you and just grow in you. So we thank you and just want to praise you now and ask you, you to speak and you to move in your precious name. Amen. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus asked one of the most profound and disturbing questions I think he ever asked. This is a question when I, when I read it, and if you ever read through the Gospel of Luke and you get to this question, it, it forces you to stop. In Luke 18, 8, Jesus asks this question. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? And Jesus was teaching something, and this almost seems out of, out of place. Jesus is teaching. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking. He shares this little story, this little parable in a sense, and he, and he stops, and he goes, when I come back, will I really find faith on the earth? And when I read that, I go, why do you ask that? Like, what causes Jesus to ask that? What does he see? What, what makes him feel the need to even ask that? Is it, is it because, like, we are lacking faith? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And will he find faith? And where the, where, where, will there be people who display faith and walk in faith and show faith? And when he asks this question in Luke chapter 18, I just, I just pause and go, Jesus, I, I hope and pray that you do. I hope that we, I hope this, this church can be that church, that you come back and you find faith. You know, and I, we want to talk about faith because this is really the topic today. This is two acts where people show great displays of faith. And we see them just put extreme trust in Jesus. And the question I think for us is, well, how do we get faith? How do we grow in faith? You know, in Luke 17, the disciples went to Jesus and they said, increase our faith. And, and this is like a desire. This is a question for a lot of us. How do we grow in faith? How do we get faith? I love this guy named D.L. Moody. He said this about faith and how he gets faith and how he got faith. Uh, he writes, and we'll throw it up here for you, I think, if we have the quote. He writes, in my younger ministry, I used to pray and ask God for faith. I used to beg God for faith. And frankly, I was weak in faith. Then I discovered Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. And I stopped praying and asking God for faith and I began to saturate myself with the word of God and found faith welling up in my life. 
Is that not so true? He's like, I begged God for faith. And I, I was, frankly, I was weak in faith. I didn't grow in faith. Nothing changed. He goes, but I saturated myself in the word of God. I surrounded myself with the word of God, and I just saw my faith grow. And that's how faith comes by. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word. And we see these two individuals, and I don't know what they've heard about Jesus. I mean, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the full Bible just in one, like, book. They could open up and be like, let me read a story about Jesus to grow my faith. They just had to hear these things and go, okay, I'm going I'm to respond to what I'm hearing in faith. I'm going to walk to Jesus in faith. And again, you see that Mark is kind of comparing and contrasting, if you don't pick up on it, some of these things between Jairus and his daughter and between this woman who needs to be made well. And it's interesting. I want to show this because here's the question I want to ask you. Do we need to come to Jesus with perfect faith? Like, please hear this. Do we need to come to Jesus with complete faith? Like, when I come to Jesus, does my faith need to be whole and complete and super strong and super big? Like, what kind of faith do we need? Here's what we see. We see that people come to Jesus with a weak faith, broken faith, even misguided faith, and he responds. Like, think about Jairus. Jairus is a religious man, the ruler of the synagogue. He should be a very spiritual man in a sense. And, and actually, if you think about it, he's probably not the biggest fan of Jesus. Not a lot of religious leaders are. He's, not a lot of relig- religious leaders want anything to do with Jesus. But if you think someone should have faith, it would be Jairus. And Jairus, he does display faith. Let's be, he does show faith. But he says, Jesus, come to my home and touch my daughter. And, and I want us to notice that. Because what did Jesus just do earlier? He's in the boat. There's a storm. There's a hurricane. And he just says, peace, be still, and it stops. There's a man filled with thousands of demons. And he's like, get out of there. And they get out. Jesus, at his word, just showed great acts of faith. I mean, crazy acts of miracles through words. And then Jairus has this mindset of Jesus, you need to come to my house and you need to touch. That is great faith Jairus is showing, but it's in a sense incomplete faith. He could have said, Jesus, at your word, just heal my daughter, say it. Do you guys remember this actually happened in Luke's gospel? This, this centurion leader, this Gentile centurion goes to Jesus, says, Jesus, my servant is sick. And I know that at your word, my servant can be made well. Just speak the word and it'll happen. I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm a ruler of many. And I know at my word, things happen. At your word, Jesus, this will be happened. And Jesus goes, I have not seen such great faith even in the house of Israel. This Gentile centurion had such great faith. Jesus didn't need to go to his house. Jesus didn't need to touch the servant. He just, he just knew Jesus at your word, he'll be made well. And here's this religious Jewish leader who had faith, but not that kind of faith. And he still displayed faith, but it's still incomplete in a sense. Then you even have this woman and this woman almost seems to have like a superstitious kind of faith. Like, well, if I can just touch his garment, then I will be made well. It's faith, but again, it's almost misguided faith. It's, it's like partial faith. It's almost like this superstitious thing around Jesus. Well, if I know if I touch him, I'll be better. It was superstitious faith. And I love that Jesus responds to both. And I love that Jesus answers both acts of faith. They're both incomplete. They were both faith. But Jesus, and we've seen different displays of faith, greater signs of faith, but Jesus responds. And here's what I love. Jesus takes both of them further than they wanted to go. Jesus takes this guy a little bit further and says, hey, you know what? It's not going to be healing that's going to happen today. It's going to be resurrection. That's further than he wanted to go. This woman just wanted to touch and run, and Jesus is like, no, you're going to have to be made public. You're going to have to actually talk now to me out loud in front of people. Like, we see that Jesus takes them farther than he wants to go, and we see that they lose control. And Jesus will listen. Jesus will take us further than we want to go. <laughs> there will be times we will lose control. There will be times we'll go, Jesus, I want this from you, but I don't want to go that far. I want some sort of relation with, with you, but don't make me do that. Don't make me say that. Don't make me experience that much pain. I can only handle this much pain, but Jesus takes them further than they want to go. Do we see that? See, I love this story because it's faith. It is faith, but Jesus is teaching them and maturing both of them in their faith. And so here's what I want to look at today. All right, here's how we're going to kind of break this down, and we're going to see some of the, the similarities between these two. But actually, yeah, let me just point out some of the similarities. We'll just throw these up here for you. Uh, both are stories of women getting healed. All right, just some similarities. Both are addressed as daughter. Both stories have groups of scoffers or mockers. 
Uh, Both people are ritually unclean. Both involve physical touch for healing. Both mention 12 years. One suffered for 12 years, one is 12, and both involve faith. There's similarities, a lot of similarities between these two. And then we're going to actually see there's a lot of differences between these two. So here's what we learn from this story. Here's what we see about faith, and here's kind of how I broke it up. And so five points today. You're like, five? You can only have three. No, I have five. Uh, Here we go. Faith runs to Jesus in desperation. We're going to see that in the first few verses. Faith runs to Jesus in desperation. We're going to see faith is only as good as its object. Faith is only as good as its object. Faith forces you to go public. I'm sorry, but it forces you to go public. Faith submits to God's timing. And faith will eventually and ultimately mock the mockers. All right, let's, let's go through this. Uh, Mark chapter 5, let's read again verse 21. We'll see the first point. Faith runs to Jesus in desperation. Look at verse 21. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to their side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he, he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with them and with a great multitude followed him and thronged him. All right. Faith, again, runs to Jesus in desperation. Again, you, you see this story with Jairus, and I want to kind of, again, like explain Jairus, but Jesus just gets off the boat, just does these great acts of, of miracles, casting out thousands of demons out of one man, calming the storm with a word. He gets off the boat and he's like, you need to come to my house. You need to touch and heal my daughter. Now again, Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue. That means he's, he's probably wealthy. He's like a public figure. He's well known. Uh, in some circles, he should be at odds with Jesus. People probably don't like the fact that here's a ruler of a synagogue going to Jesus. Jesus really wasn't in yet with the, ever with the spiritual leaders of the day. I mean, but here's this guy running to, it didn't matter all of that. It didn't matter what Jesus did or how he was, in a sense, hurting their form of the law. Like, they looked at Jesus as someone who was, like, hurting their, their form and their expression of their religion. But he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm desperate. And everything, maybe he felt about Jesus at one point, everything he thought about Jesus, he goes, Jesus, I'm so desperate, and comes running to him. And, and it's crazy how just the thought of just him, maybe losing his daughter, makes him, forces him, puts him in a place to run to Jesus. He probably would have never run to Jesus otherwise. I want you just to really think about this guy. This is a guy that probably would never have come to Jesus if it wasn't for, and Luke says, this is his only daughter. Luke makes that clear. This is his only daughter. This guy probably would have never come to Jesus if it wasn't for this situation. And it, in a sense, forces his hand to go to Jesus. And he runs to Jesus in desperation. And he goes, please come to my home. And we also see, like I mentioned in verse 28, this woman had a similar mindset. She comes to Jesus in 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 a sense of desperation. And she goes, only if I can touch him, I can be made well. And, and it, here's what I want us to see. They both came to the end of themselves. They both came to the end of like their, like she went to many doctors. She was never healed. We'll talk more about that, but she, it wasn't working for them. Their way of doing it, her way of doing it, it wasn't working for them. And it forces them to come running to Jesus in a state of desperation. And, and it's interesting. Either we can run to Jesus in a state of desperation out of need, or we just run into it in a state, state of de- desperation out of want. Like I think many of us go, I need Jesus because I'm desperate, or we just go, I want Jesus because I am desperate. <laughs> like, you, you're for, your hand's forced, or hopefully it's a choice that you go, doesn't matter if I'm ever suffering, doesn't matter if I ever have a need, I'm just, I'm just desperate for Jesus. And here's what I, I'm sharing this point for us. Here in our new, young, we're young church, new church in a sense, meaning we've been here now for like five months, I would love for us to be just a church, a community, people, individuals who are just desperate for Jesus, who come running to Jesus. Jesus is a busy guy at this time. Jesus is a public figure at this time. Jesus could have been like, I don't know if I have time for you, Jairus. You don't really like me anyway. But Jesus, here's what I love. It says in verse, uh, what verse is it? It says in verse 28, or verse 24, it says, Jesus went with him. 
I love that, just those simple words. Jesus is like, I'm going with you. And here's what I want all of us to feel and sense and see, that Jesus enters our state of desperation. Like if we could see this and know this, but Jesus doesn't go, man, you're desperate. Oh, I'm so sorry. Jesus enters into it with us. He's like, let's go. You want me to walk with you? you want, I'll walk with you. The centurion, you want to speak it? I'll speak it. Like there's a side where Jesus enters into our desperation with us. And just what a good word for us. That if we see people hurting in need, it's like I'm going to enter into their desperation with them. They're in pain. How do we enter into their desperation within them? I've been so encouraged by just seeing little, like hearing little stories of this family going through this and this group doing this for this family. Like I'm so encouraged by how you guys are entering into each other's lives in a sense of desperation. I'm so encouraged by that. And how we want just a, a community that's desperate for Jesus, that enters into other people's state of desperation, that enters into other people's state of pain and suffering. And this is what Jesus does. And it's, it's interesting to me because here's, here's kind of how the world communicates it sometimes. It's almost like, listen, when you've exhausted all of your resources, when you've done everything you can, then pray. And it's almost that approach, like, then go to Jesus. Once you've worked it out, once you've been really smart, once you've kind of thought it through and you have a good plan, now you can pray. And we have it so reversed. It's like, let's start by running to, what if this wasn't her going to all these doctors? What if this wasn't for years and years? And again, Jesus knew on the scene. I'm not blaming her for not going to Jesus earlier. But what if there was a side of it, like, this is my first response. This is the first thing I'm going to do. It's not going to be my last thing. What if prayer was our first response? What if it wasn't like our last response? <laughs> What if we entered into a state of desperation and the first thing we do is not plan something out or be really creative, but we're like, let's just pray. Let's just run to Jesus. And this is what's happening. And Jesus enters into the state of desperation with them. And I'm so thankful for this. And I'll say this, faith, genuine faith, runs to Jesus in desperation. And have you ran to Jesus recently? Have you run to Jesus at all? Have you realized, oh my gosh, doctors cannot help me anymore. They can never help to me. I've actually gotten worse. People can't help me. The only person that can enter into this with me is Jesus. And so Jesus went with him and let us be a church that pursues passionately Jesus, amen? That runs to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're not my last option, you're my only option. You're not my last option, you're my first option. And so this is what we see with faith. Now, moving on, what we're gonna see next and how the story kind of evolves is faith is only as good as its object. Faith is only as good as its object. Look at verse 25. So the story's interrupted now in verse 25. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And then she says in verse 29, or it says in verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Here's what I want us to just see with this. The object of our faith. The faith is only as good as its object. That's what matters. She comes to Jesus in this sense of desperation. And she knows if I could just touch him, I'll be made well. And faith is only as good as its object. And here's what I see for us. In 2018, people kind of mock this idea. They're like, are you a person of faith? And they, they assume what they're asking is like, are, do you not think? Do you not use your brain? That's like kind of what they're asking in their mind. Like, are you a person of faith? Meaning, do you like never, never think logically? That's kind of what they're getting at. And the funny thing is to me, it's like, yes, and so are you, right? Like, everyone's a person of faith. Everyone exercises faith. Everyone exercises faith in something. The question is not, do we have faith, but what is your faith in? Christians and non-Christians, everyone has faith, but what is the object of your faith, right? And people who say, I don't, I'm not a person of faith, right? I'm not your leader, I'm a believer in science. Right? And they kind of answer that way. They're like, no. And their, their mind is like, no, if I, can't, if I can't use a scientific method to find God, then there's no God. And it's weird. It's almost like, what if you were to dissect a piano and expect to find a song? 
Like you're not gonna you're not gonna die, go into a lab and die, go into a lab and go, oh my gosh, I found God this way. You're not gonna go into a piano and go, oh my gosh, I found a song. It doesn't happen that way. You see, everyone does exercise faith. Everyone places their faith in someone or something, some article, some teacher, some professor. We all exercise faith. And what we see this woman has is she's had faith in doctors. She's had faith in others. And now she's saying, I've only gotten worse. I'm going to exercise my faith in something else. And I do like this definition. I think it's somewhat helpful. And it's fun to remember, like this with little kids. But faith is like the acrostic or acronym. I forget how it works. But faith, maybe you've heard this, faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him, right? That's the kind of idea of, of faith. Faith is forsaking all, I trust Jesus. Forsaking all, I'm putting my faith in him. I'm trusting in him. I'm looking to him. And this is what she does. And it's not a question of, hey, do you have faith? It's a question of where, what is your faith in? It's funny because there's also this idea sometimes in like religious, spiritual circles of as long as you put your, as long as you have a lot of faith, as long as you believe with all of your heart, it's going to work out. And Jesus says the opposite. Jesus is like, it doesn't matter if you put all of your faith, as long as you have the right object and you have a little bit of faith, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. You just have to have the right object. You have a lot of faith in the wrong thing. Nothing's going to come from it. You gotta have the right object to your faith. And so she comes running with him and she pleads with him and she's seeking him. And this is what we see. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And let's just think about this woman for a second and what she's gone through. I mean, think about physically hemorrhaging for 12 years, having this disorder of just bleeding for 12 years. Think about what this means as as a Jewish woman who's now unclean and cannot ever enter into the temple or ever be around religious. She's unclean. She's permanently unclean. Think about what that does to her socially. Think about what that does to her emotionally. Think about how how she feels like an outsider, how she feels like no one can relate to her. She spent all of her money. Maybe she was wealthy at one point. Now she's poor. Think about financially where she's at. And you think about what she's walking through. And here's what I love about this woman. This, This is what I know. This is what I see. She doesn't probably know much about Jesus, but what she does know, she acts on it. And I'd say that is so important for us because you, a lot, this is weird for me. I, I'll meet new Christians who don't know a lot about Jesus, but they have so much faith and they act upon it. And that is so beautiful. Then you meet Christians for years and years and years and they, they never act upon it. And it's like, I have all this information about Jesus and I know these things, but do you act upon it? She acts upon what she knows about Jesus. Hey, I've heard these things about Jesus and she acts upon it. And her life is just forever changed. And it, it, the object of our faith is what matters not just for the sake of having faith, but what is our faith in? And so here's what I wanted to, to even see. Uh, I love how Warren Wearsby put this when he talks about faith. He says, faith enables us to see what others cannot see, and as a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. Faith enables us to see what others cannot see, and faith enables us to do then what others cannot do. And so she saw something that not a lot of people saw. She's around something that not a lot of people were, were around that were around, but they've never actually experienced this. And here's now some differences I want us to see. We saw the similarities, but listen to some of these differences. Uh, the differences between Jairus and this woman. Listen to this. Jairus' name, she's not. Jairus is a person of standing. She's an outsider. Jairus has security. She has nothing. He came to Jesus with boldness and confidence. She comes in the shadows. Jairus is a man with money, and, and, and she's lost it all. And what I see for this, for this is it's not really the the quantity of our faith. It's not really even the quality of our faith. It's the object of our faith. But there's so many differences and there's so many similarities. Both experienced healing. Both experienced the power of Jesus. And it wasn't about their quantity of faith or the quality of faith. It's about the fact that they're just going to him in a sense of desperation. He was the object of their faith. He's what they're looking to. And it says in verse 29 again that immediately she was made well. Immediately she was healed. 
And guys, I don't need to belabor this point, but I'd say whatever little faith, whatever you've heard about Jesus, whatever you know about Jesus, whatever you've read about Jesus, let's act upon it. You know, what if we just really did, took what we knew and said, Jesus, I'm going to act upon it. I've heard these things about you. I've seen these things about you. I'm going to act upon these things. There's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of acting upon it. Even though there's all these differences, even though there's misguided a little bit, maybe it's a little bit weak, but we see that Jesus honors that and acknowledges that. And it leads us to number three. Number three is this. Faith forces you and I to go public. Faith forces you and I to go public. Look at verse 30, and I love this. A Jesus, and Jesus, immediately knowing himself, that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? <laughs> and his disciples said to him, uh, you see the multitude strong in you? And you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see her who had touched, who had done this thing. But the woman fearing it and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I love this. Because Jesus just being thro- Jesus gets off the boat. Jairus runs to him. Uh, there, there's a crowd of people going to Jairus's house. Uh, this week, I've kind of became a weird little fanboy. Of, I was just watching like the royal wedding stuff a lot, um, and just kind of watching, you know, like even the different weddings on like Thursday. I was watching like documentaries. I'm like, wow, the queen has so much power. It really freaks me out actually. Um, but it's like it's crazy to watch the family. And, like everyone's obsessed with this fa- the, the family and the, the family tree is insane. But wherever like any family member goes, it's just crowds and crowds of people, right? And if there's no barriers, they'd be they'd just be dead. They'd just like be thronging them and be, be dead. But you think about this and you see this, like there's so many people crowding around Jesus, thronging him, jumping at him, touching him. Everyone's touching him. Everyone's kissing him. Mark's we're using this word is expressing like great intensity. And then Jesus all of a sudden says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, you got to be kidding me. Like who, everyone's touching you. Who's not touching you? And they're like, he's like, no, but I, I sense power leave for me. Someone touched me. And you know, this woman, this moment where this woman's kind of hiding and going, oh my gosh, she's talking about me. And I don't know if you've ever, ever been there where someone's like talking about you and you're like, oh my gosh, they're talking about me. <laughs> Maybe you like, felt like this sermon before, like, oh no, it's talking about me and I have no idea. But it's like, oh, it's talking about me. This is what she's going through. And she's in fear and she's trembling and Jesus is drawing her out and I want you to see that. Do you see that? Did Jesus know who touched him? Did Jesus not know what's going on? He's drawing her out. She wanted this drive-by faith healing. She wanted like a drive-through faith. Like, hey, you, like, just pull up to the window. Can I take a one healing, please? And like, pull up to the window and like, drive. She wanted something really quick, and Jesus like, I'm not gonna let this be quick. And think about this. This is really important. Jesus is not, it's not like he's not busy. It's not like he's on his way to do something incredibly important. But he stops and slows down and speaks to this woman. And Jesus draws this out of her. And I love this, because we see this with God in the very beginning with Adam, right? Like, in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, God goes, Adam, where are you? So God's like, I don't know where he, he's really lost. Like, it's not like God's like, it's like, who touched me? See, God like, oftentimes will ask a question to draw us out. And he says, where are you? And he, he says to her, who touched me? And she knows it's me. And he's drawing her to speak publicly. And listen, this is taking her further than she wants to go. And this is not just some healing that's taking place. This is like, really what's happening is discipleship. Jesus stops and acknowledges her. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He's speaking over her. Do you see all that's happening here? Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Jesus literally says, daughter, daughter. Can you like, I had to like circle that. I wish this was last week's message. This would be such a better Mother's Day message than the demon-possessed guy. But I love this. He goes, daughter. He's literally speaking identity over this woman. Because what was she? She was the unclean one. She's the gross one. She's the disgusting one to the people. You're bleeding for 12 years. Get out of here. You can't be around us. You know, we have our religious piety. You can't be in the temple. You can't be in the synagogue. You can't be here. 
And you think about how she must have felt for many, for 12 years seeking physicians. And it's interesting, some of the things that physicians would do to them. I mean, you can read writings from the mission about what doctors would recommend to someone with her ailment. And there's some pretty disgusting, terrible things that they would recommend to do. And she's now worse. She's now more sick. And she probably felt so unclean. She probably felt so dirty. She probably felt so unwanted, so unloved. And Jesus is like, daughter. And he's speaking identity over her. He's speaking a new name over her. And I just love that the crowd is just thronging him and he stops to address this woman. And what honor Jesus shows women, what, what acknowledgement Jesus shows women, something that was so, count- a rabbi in that day, stopping, talking to this woman who is unclean. I mean, Jesus just shows so much honor and so much love. And, and she says, I love this, she, she tells him the whole truth. She's like, I gotta tell you everything, Jesus. You know what that means for Jairus? He's probably going any day now. Like, like that's like, she's like, let me tell you everything that's happening. He's going, my daughter's still sick and, and dying. And she's like, and Jesus is just taking the time and he's listening. And I love that our, our God listens. I love that she tells him the whole truth and Jesus is like, I have time for this. Crowds are chaotic. I don't know if you've ever like, seen a storm and like, one person like, not moving. You're like, how are they doing that? Like, just crazy things are going on all around. Jesus is like, yeah, tell me your story. And she brings everything to the light. And she tells him everything. And I love for us to just, just spend time with Jesus and just bring everything to the light. He already knows. Who touched me? It's not like he doesn't know. You know, I had to write down verse 30 and I had to like, circle verse 30 and think about verse 30. And if you, you looked at it or read it, he said, it says, Jesus, immediately knowing himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And again, the disciples say, what are you saying who touched me? Jesus, and here's what you got to see this. Jesus noticed something changed in him. And this is so unique. This is not in any other part of the gospels where Jesus actually feels power leave him. And I want you to think, Jesus just spoke a word and a hurricane stops. Like, we can't, like, make an atomic bomb stop in a hurricane. Like, Jesus just speaks a word, the hurricane stops. He speaks a word, the demons leave this guy. And at no point in time does it say power left him. But here's a woman who's weak and unclean and an outsider. And what does Jesus do? He's, he heals her, but he immediately feels power leave him. And this, is, this, to me, is what I love about the gospel. This, this is the gospel. Here's someone who's weak and unclean on the outside. And here's Jesus who has all the power, all the authority on the inside in a sense. And Jesus takes, he releases his power and takes in a sense her weakness. He goes, I now feel weak. Power has left me. And this is, this is the gospel where we are weak and unclean and on the outside. And Jesus has everything. He, he, his power in a sense is released. It's given over. We are made new. We are made righteous. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor. So you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. He's rich. We're poor. He became poor. Now we're rich. He has power. releases the power. She was weak. Now she's strong. Jesus is now weak and feels that. And we see the substitution taking place. And this is Mark's gospel. And this is what Mark's pointing to. Like, yes, ultimately the cross, we'd see this great exchange take place even more so. Even more so, he'd become vulnerable and weak. Even more so, he'd get to the point of, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? This is just like a small piece of what would happen. But we don't see this anywhere else. We don't see where it says Jesus like, feels power leave him, except for an unclean woman. Except for a woman who, who's sick and can't find healing. It's the only time he feels like something left me, power has left me. And again, he, he already had so much power. He just exercised so much authority, but now he feels the weakness happening. And it's for a woman who now can be brought in. It's for a woman who now can be brought clean. And I love this about our Jesus. And this is what I see is that Jesus does love outsiders. And we'll look at that next. Look at number four. We see that faith submits to God's timing. Faith submits to God's timing. Look, if you would, at verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, some came from the rulers of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And I don't know if you can like even sense that like probably sarcastic tone towards Jesus. Like he wants Jesus to hear this. Hey, she's dead now. This guy took his time. Why bother him anymore? 
Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Uh, the brother of James. Number four, faith submits to God's timing. Faith submits to God's timing. And I really want us to think through this. If you are Jairus, and I am Jairus, and your only little girl, your only child, your little girl is on her deathbed, and Jesus, like, Jesus come over, he's like, I'm coming, let's go. And there's crowds, and you're like, get out of my way, my daughter, let's go. It's like this ambulance on this way to the house, and then Jesus is like, hey, can we stop for coffee? And you're like, no, we can't stop for coffee. Like, my like it almost just seems like unthoughtful. Like, if you really do read this, it's like, hey, I need to stop and talk to this person. You're like, Jesus, we're on a, like an ambulance run to my house to save my daughter, what are we doing? And you can like sense this. It almost feels like, you know, if you think about this from a doctor's point, standpoint, in a sense, it's almost like malpractice. Like if two patients come into the office and you have one who like broke their arm and one who's like bleeding to death, you're like, let me treat the one who broke their arm. Like, no, this one's bleeding to death. Like she's lived with this for 12 years. She can handle another hour, Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a mindset probably going, this woman can handle another hour or two. And I love that Jesus does the opposite because does he not just do that? <laughs> does he not go, hey, I know you're the religious leader of the synagogue. I know that you have a lot of authority. I know that you're a male, but I'm gonna stop for the woman. I'm going to stop for the woman who's not really honored in that culture in that time, who's on the outside, who's unclean. And I love that Jesus goes to the outsiders. And is that not what Jesus always does? When you read throughout the gospel, you feel like Jesus is just like constantly going, hey, you're an outsider? Perfect. Come on in. You're an insider? Wait your turn. But it, I mean, is that not the gospel? Like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I mean, and if you've ever felt like an outsider, that's who Jesus relates to. That's who Jesus brings in. That's who Jesus stops and pauses for and says, I have time for you. I know this male religious leader that many people know, he's named, you're not named. <laughs> I know that everyone knows this story. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna actually have him stop and I'm gonna address your needs. And again, what, what this is doing to Jairus, like now imagine being Jairus, being with Jesus, this is more serious. My daughter's on her deathbed. She's been sick for 12 years. She can handle another moment or two. Please go to my daughter. She, he literally says she's about to die. That's what, how he originally approaches Jesus. She's about to die. And it almost just seems like Jesus is either uncaring or he's doing malpractice. And we got to see this. Jesus' priorities are not always our priorities. God's time, timing is not always our timing. And this will frustrate us and this will make us angry and we won't understand. And we're going, God, don't you care? And how many of us ask that? God, don't you care? Don't you see me in this state? Don't you see how big this need is? It's way bigger than that person's need and yet you're helping them. And this is everything he's feeling at once. And there's that little voice that tells us God doesn't care. There's that little voice that tells us God doesn't really notice this. He loves them or cares for them more than he cares for you. I mean, Jairus could have had all those thoughts, all those feelings at once. Just, he gets the news and, and is saying, don't even talk to Jesus. Don't even bother him anymore. Your daughter's dead. And you can imagine at that point in time, I, I, I do feel like if after Jesus listened to this woman's whole story, I feel like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why did you take time for this woman so my daughter could die? In his mind, it's over. See, this guy wanted a healing, but Jesus is going to give him a resurrection. And again, please hear that faith takes more than you want to give, but it gives more than you can receive. It, it will do that. And, it, and that's not just a saying. Faith will take more than you want to give. There have been things in my life and in your life, I'm sure, when you had to exercise faith and you're like, this is more than I want to give. This is more than I want to do. I'm uncomfortable. And it takes more than you want to give. But at the same time, you'll receive so much more in the process. Because this guy just wanted a healing. Jesus like, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm not just going to give you a healing, okay? I'm going to bring her back to life. But this is so uncomfortable for him. This is so uncomfortable for us. And I don't know if you feel like maybe God's not seeing your issue right now. Maybe you feel like God's not aware of your, your thing that you're walking through. And he's definitely more aware. And his priorities are not our priorities. And his ways are not our ways. And he will do things and say things that we, we don't get. Even probably, even to our deathbed, we probably won't get until we step into eternity and say, oh God, I see what you're doing there. Like it was so much bigger than I could have ever, <laughs> ever thought of. You're so much more creative than me. You know, forgive me for questioning your judgment or questioning your character that you even care. 
I mean, I feel like Jairus really would, I, I would have been furious to go, my 12-year-old daughter died just so this woman who's suffered for 12 years can just be better. She can handle another moment. And, and Jesus does this. And it's so frustrating and so confusing. And God's timing is not our timing. And Jesus, and Jesus is calling this guy's faith and he's stretching this guy's faith more than it's ever been stretched. And I, we, we all need to hear that. Jesus has had to stretch my faith way more than I've wanted it to be stretched. And yet Jesus at the same time has been so much more faithful and so much more generous than I. I, I barely gave up what he could overwhelm me with. Like there's nothing, God is not going to be in debt to anyone. God's not going to be like, wow, you gave a lot. I'm going to now be in debt to you. Just God always blows my mind when it comes to this. And so we see this guy, and again, number four, we see his faith submits to God's timing and Jairus does do this. Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe. And please, please let that sink into your heart. That word belief is written in this way of keep on believing. Don't, don't stop believing. But you can imagine he would have stopped believing. It's literally just like, I, I don't, and some of you just saw that one song, right? I don't know, anyways. Um, <laughs> I saw you smirk like. Uh, but it's written away where like, don't stop believing. Like, I know that right now you don't want to believe anymore. I know that you think it's over. But this, this is the time to believe. And that is so interesting to me. It's easy to believe when circumstances are just perfect. You're like, I can believe in Jesus. Look at the circumstance. Like, it's so easy to believe Jesus at that point in time. It's really hard when nothing makes sense. When nothing's adding up and you're like, now believe? Like now at this point in time, exercise faith in you when death has already happened? Like now you want me to believe Jesus? He's like, yeah, this is the time I want you to believe. When it seems like all hope is lost, <laughs> do not be afraid, only believe. And again, you always, you do see faith and fear just kind of like being so close together. It's weird how like you can either be extremely fearful and with like one small step to the side, you can be extremely like faith-filled. And, and it is weird how like if in one moment you can go, oh my gosh, all hope's lost. Another moment it's like, okay, I believe. I believe, let's do this. Jesus said, let's go. Don't be afraid. Don't believe. I'm going to believe it. And here's what we see lastly, and I love this. It's number five. It's faith will mock the mockers. Faith will mock the mockers. Look at verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And we were overcome with great amazement. And but he who commanded them strictly that no one should know it and so that something should be given her to eat. All right, Jesus walks in. People are freaking out, crying, wailing. Of course, of course, this little daughter's just dead. The ruler of the synagogue, a loved man, a loved person in this area, his daughter's dead. They actually would hire professional wailers back then when someone's getting close to their death. It's like, hey, if they die, make a big scene. They'd pay money to everybody to cry and wail, just like the NBA player. I don't know. Anyways, but they'd like do all these things like, please cry and wail. And so they're doing that. They're crying, they're wailing. And Jesus walks in and he's like, why are you crying? She's not dead. She's asleep. And, and please hear this. When I first heard that, like when I read this and that they ridiculed him, a part of me goes, that's, that's how could you ridicule Jesus? But I really want us to think about this. Jesus seems so insensitive at this point in time. Does he not? I mean, if he walks into your home and someone's dead and he's like, no, they're not dead. They're sleeping. As like a parent, you'd be like, Jesus, you're incredibly insensitive. <laughs> like you do not see that my daughter's dead and you're saying she's sleeping. You almost feel like that's like rude. You almost feel like, what is he saying? And so they, they ridicule him, and they, and they mock him. At first, I used to like, get mad at these guys. How could you ridicule Jesus? And I'm like, I feel like I would. I feel like I'd be like, Jesus, how dare you say that? How dare you say that she's, she's sleeping? And Jesus puts all the mockers out of the room. 
And listen, we know there will always be mockers. <laughs> there will always be scoffers. There will be people who go, wait, you really believe that God became a man? His name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life, never sinned before, died on a cross, an innocent death, and on the cross he took the sin of the world upon him and he gave his righteousness to people for those who believe and call upon him. And that three days later he rose again from the grave. You believe that? And you're like, yeah, I do. <laughs> then they're like, they mock, there will always be mockers of this. And the funny thing I love, and I love about our room and just the church in general is the church is filled with ex-mockers. The church is filled with people who are like, no way, nope, no, you're an idiot, you're, you're crazy. And it's just filled with people who all at one point in time mocked. And at one point in time said, God can't do this. I'm like, God did this. God can't bring dead people back to life. God came back to life. Like, God makes ex, like, mockers ex-mockers. And, but he, he's cast them outside, they're outside the room, and Jesus looks at her and says, she's asleep. And again, this is what, what's crazy to me, and he speaks this, I think, in Aramaic. He says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And it's literally, it's almost like a, a slang word. He's saying, honey, it's time to get up. He's saying, hey, it's, honey, it's time to give up. And he grabs her hand. And I, and I want us to like hear that for a second. Because Jesus treats death like sleep. <laughs> like it's not hard. The, the greatest enemy of life the greatest enemy of life, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is death. That's the greatest enemy. The greatest and last enemy we'll all face is death. It's the greatest enemy. And Jesus treats the greatest enemy like it's just sleeping. He's like, hey, get up. It's time to wake up. When your mom walks in the room as a kid, grabs you by the hand, rubs your head, hey, it's time to get up. You, you get up slowly. Jesus is doing that. Grabs you by the hand and says, hey, it's time to get up. She gets up. And I, I love this about our Jesus. It, and it's crazy. Jesus, the power just left him, but he still has power to resurrect. <laughs> You know, it's like, he just walked through something that he's never, like, we don't see anywhere else in the Gospels. Like, power left him, and now he's like, I still have enough power to, to raise the dead. I still have enough power to speak, just treat her as if this is just sleep. That's how strong our God is. That's how powerful our God is. Who at a word casts out thousands of demons, at a word calms a storm, at a word resurrects the, the dead. And people were not expecting this. They're expecting a healing of someone who's sick to be better, not someone who's dead to be made alive. And again, Jesus doesn't want to make sick people just better. He wants to make dead people alive. That's what he does. He just resurrects. And this is our God, and this is who we worship, and this is who we serve. And, I, and, I, and there's so much about this that I love. There's like, get her something to eat, even just those weird details. Like, why? I don't know, because she's alive? To show, to prove she's really risen? Like, Jesus, when he rose again from the grave, wasn't just like some ghost walking around, like he ate food with the disciples. Like, I'm really physically here now. And it's showing, like, resurrection does speak of a physical resurrection, that one day we will physically rise, that we will have a new body, that G God created man from dust. So if someone from our past is cremated, it's like, Jesus, like, I can take dust and make it, a person. I can do that. I do that with Adam. I'll do that with someone, you. I'll do it with anyone. That God will, there will be a physical and literal resurrection. That we will be in the kingdom of God, the Bible says, we'll be in heaven one day eating with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That there will be like a physical resurrection. That we still get to enjoy what God created. That even though sin tainted it, tainted it and ruined it, God's going to redeem all of it. Spiritual and physical. He's redeeming all of it. And she eats food and he's like, yep, that's good. Don't tell anyone. Because they're going to see that I do have power of resurrection through my, through my resurrection. You know, they're going to see that I have power over death and life through me. Because it's one thing to have someone else come back to life, but I'm going to come back to life. <laughs> I'm going to be dead and perform a miracle. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm going to come back to life. And that's our God. And you have two people who had misguided, incomplete faith in Jesus' response to both. Jesus took them farther than they wanted to go. They wanted, Jairus wanted it done his way. This woman wanted it done her way. She didn't want to be noticed. He wanted to be healing. And Jesus was like, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to be happening my way. And that's how God does it. I go to Jesus so often with stipulations. Like this morning, the truck's not working. I'm like, all right, Jesus, do me a favor. Please make the truck work. <laughs> like, I have like, and God's like, my priorities are not your priorities. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to stretch this. We're going to stretch a lot of people in here. And this is what God does. I'm going to take you further than you want to go, and you're going to get more at the same time than you, you could ever receive or ask or imagine. Because that's just how our God does things. Amen?
And here's what I want to do. I just want to end by praising Jesus, by worshiping Jesus, saying, we're worshiping the one who speaks a word, little girl, arise, honey, wake up, and she wakes up. And I just want us to sing to him, praise him, that with a word, <laughs> mountains tremble, with a word, just people are healed, and let us just use our words to praise him back. Amen? So let's worship, let's pray, then I'll kind of come back up here and end with a couple of thoughts and announcements. Father, we just thank you. <laughs> we're, we're so humbled by this text. We're so amazed by you, Jesus. God, that I have my plans or my ways or what I want you to do, and you do do it way differently, and thank you for that. So Jesus, just speak to people in this room. Let them hear your word. Let them just sense, God, that you've reached out and touched them. Jesus, let us not be the crowd that's always around you but never healed. God, thank you for this woman who, who made it a point to find healing. And Lord, we ask that we not just always be around you but not experience it ourselves. Lord, we, we want to taste and see your good. We want to experience you firsthand. So Jesus, we just want to stop and sing to you and acknowledge you. So Jesus, we love you. That's all we can say. And thank you for loving us more. And thank you for loving us first. In your wonderful name. Let's stand and close in worship.